terrible madness of war. We need to stop bombing people's homes. It's not anti-European. Stop sending arms into conflict zones. It's common sense. Millions of Europeans struggle to feed their families and heat their homes. All wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. When he is going to wake up and start living in the real world? Thank you. Hello, welcome back to I Foresee Trouble. We're here in Brussels with our two favourite MEPs. We wish... Who's your third favourite? Oh, no. I'll never tell you. I'll never tell you. No. Never tell me? No. I know that it would hurt your feelings, so I'm just keeping it. Will it? Yeah. I want to hear this now. Mm -mm, Maybe later. Uh, This is not good enough. (laughs) I think politically, uh, my favourite is Per Nicola Pedicini, um, who, Italian from Rome who was in the Five Star Movement but left. Now, he's under the umbrella of the Green Group, but not the Green bit. He's under the, the other, the EFA is a group. They're kind of for minorities and that. But actually, on issues like Russia, Palestine, peace, he's been absolutely on the same page as us, probably more than anybody else, ironically, even though he's not in our group. Great guy. Yeah, he's a good guy, yeah. And it certainly helps being Italian. We love the Italians. That's true. Not all our politicians now, but we like the Italian people. Yeah. <laughs> right, we wish we could give you better news, but unfortunately the situation in Gaza continues to deteriorate and also the actions of the European leaders continue to get worse and worse. Um, I think they're failing the Palestinian people and they're also failing the Europeans who are very obviously very disappointed with how they've dealt with this whole issue. We hosted a press conference this week with some Palestinians that are living here in Brussels and they, most of them have lost enormous amounts of family members back in Gaza. And they, it's really sad that they had to expose themselves and tell us about, you know, everyone they had lost and their suffering. And they had to make all that public because, you know, the Israeli media and the Israeli government is pushing the strategy to, you know, we, we know all the faces and all the names of the Israeli civilians that have been killed, but then the Palestinians are just one more statistic, one more number, and we know nothing about them. So what did you think of it? It was it was a hard... It was a very difficult event for everybody who w- was there. I think there was a, a, an excellent turnout from the media, but from the media in the Arab world, which was interesting. Um and as you said, Maria, I mean, I think, you know, the, the youngest speaker was Fatma, uh, 11 years old, who took the day off school to attend and had before the conference as we were preparing for it, she'd lost 52 members of her family. And then it went up to 55 by the time the press conference actually occurred. There was Mohammed who um, had lost his mother. He talked about his last conversation with his sister and how she kind of knew that they were finished. Uh, They didn't have enough food or anything anyway and and then ultimately they were bombed. He's actually working here for the commission which must be utterly devastating that you're working in an organisation and the organisation itself is partly uh, is you know involved in in promoting a genocide. Then there was um, a very young girl, pregnant girl uh, who just talked about how you know her mother just doesn't want to live anymore because the brothers and the family, they have no food, they can't survive and how she'd lost contact with them and hadn't heard anything since. So it was utterly devastating. But what I found remarkable 
was the response from the international media. So there were two men in particular. One was both working for media in Arab countries, one originally from Tunisia, the other originally from India. And they both 40 years experience working in the parliament and working in the EU institutions. And one of them made the point that he had uh, believed the propaganda, I suppose, from the EU, that uh, the EU was based on values and all this. And he was utterly shocked at how they've gone along with this. The other man said, really? You actually believe that, did you? He said, I never believed that. But I suppose it just shows this is irreparable now. The gulf that is, as the weeks are turning into months, the gulf between the rest of the world and the US-led tiny minority with its European cheerleaders is on the one side. The ramifications of this are enormous and I haven't even mentioned the turmoil within Europe itself. Yeah, um, the event of the press conference, um, it was just incredible. Uh, I mean, the numbers are just staggering. I mean, as you said, Fatima, uh, the 11-year-old girl, 55 people from her extended family, most of them, a lot of them were killed in one four-storey uh, apartment block that was bombed by the Israelis. Uh, and you had Mohammed Halalu, who's living in Brussels as well, obviously, and um, he's lost 30 people and 14 of them were children. His mother and his father, his brother and two sisters were killed the other day. I mean... It doesn't bear thinking about um, And yet we have a, new, a European Union that refuses to call for a ceasefire. There's over 5,000 children dead now, 5,000 children killed in Gaza, and we won't call for a ceasefire. Now, if they won't call for a ceasefire, it means that they're okay with the atrocities continuing, the genocide the war crimes. Israel has, has, has their, their leaders have actually admitted that they're carrying out a genocide. They're, they're ethnically cleansing the Gazan people from the northern strip of Gaza. They've been involved in collective punishment from the start by cutting off water, fuel and food. And they're bombing hospitals and schools, churches, apartment blocks, ambulances and the EU refuses to condemn them. Only today Joseph Burrell who hasn't been the worst of the leaders in the EU but he said that the atrocities committed by Hamas were horrific and totally unacceptable and inexcusable and so no one is denying that but he can't say it for what Israel is doing they can't say that the atrocities being committed by Israel are horrific. And yet, they try to pretend that all lives matter. Well, they don't, obviously, don't all matter. The Palestinian lives don't matter if they cannot say straight out that what Israel is doing to the Palestinians, innocent people, 5,000 children, 3,000 women, and they can't say that this is terrible. I mean, where's, what's the future uh, in, in, in the area of human rights, humanitarian law, international law, European values? What values? Well, where's the future for this European Union? 
I think a couple of things changed in the course of the last week. I mean, I think the scale of the brutality unleashed by Israel uh, changed. The assaults on the hospitals, the going in on the ground, the use of snipers to target medical personnel and patients in a hospital. I mean, the turning off of the electricity, the children dying in incubators, the medical staff having to deal with medical emergencies without any appropriate care, and the grounds of a hospital being turned into a graveyard where hundreds of bodies literally had to be buried by medical staff and the troops going in kind of on the ground. This is a, a whole new level. And side by side with that, you had the unleashing of this wave of propaganda, much of it paid, but a lot of it not paid, of from the Israelis kind of making out that they were distinguishing between Hamas and Palestinians, that they were protecting people, that they were bringing in humanitarian aid. I mean, this is the state which pioneered disinformation. This is the state which pioneered the technology that gave us Pegasus and spyware. Gaza is an open-air prison which has one of the most heavily surveilled areas in the history of the world. And we are supposed to believe that this super wonderful organized terrorist unit involving thousands of people has been operating under hospitals in a way and they didn't know anything about any of this until now and that they didn't know anything about these major attacks which were planned and all this is all nonsense it's utter nonsense and when you see the paid ads that they come up if you use your apps on your phone about how israel is trying to help and it's bringing in water and it's bringing it this is manipulation on a massive scale. Now, it doesn't wash in countries like Ireland generally because we know the score. It's not washing with the population across the world because we're seeing this genocide unfold thanks in some parts to social media that we can still get to see it. But that whole propaganda area is um, very... In I mean, when you think of the amount of debates that were held in here about Russian disinformation, and quite often Russian disinformation was, like, we were accused of it. Like, what that would mean is that we disagreed with the position of the European Union in how to end the war in Ukraine. We felt that arming Ukraine and sanctioning was only going to hurt us and make the war go longer. I happen to think we were totally right in that. History has proven it. But that was Russian disinformation. Where's all the talk? from RTE and from the mainstream media about Israeli disinformation, because that's what it is. It's paid for and it's deliberate manipulation. The way even RTE continues to platform representatives from the Israeli state and not grill them and not deal with this nonsense. I know they're not the worst. And like what's happening in Ireland is mild by comparison to other countries. But you can imagine why people are disorientated in other countries. I mean, most ordinary people aren't, but a section of them might be when they're getting this monolithic um, media coverage. It's quite disgraceful. Well, it was interesting as well to hear uh, the United Nations Special Rapporteur for Palestinian Human Rights, Francesca Albanese, coming out. And she's literally taken aim at the international community uh, who have rallied behind Israel's non-existent right to self-defence, she says. She says Israel has no right of self-defense against Hamas under international law and is committing war crimes that must be accounted for, she said. She said, I mean, she actually went, she said, Israel 
could not claim self-defence in the laws of war because that could only be prescribed when under threat from another state. And Israel cannot claim the right of self-defence against, tr- against a threat that emanates from a territory it is occupying, from a territory that is under belligerent occupation, she said. And she said what Israel was allowed to do was to act to establish law and order, to repel the attack, neutralise whomever was carrying out the attacks and then proceed with law and order measures, not waging war, she said. And she also uh, criticised uh, vast sections uh, of the media whom she said had forgotten or, or, or turned out that the conflict had... Uh, that they're ignoring the fact that this conflict has began decades ago. And... Uh, but our media have a lovely uh, tendency nowadays not to put things in context because very often it exposes um, the, the, the hypocrisy of our, our Western institutions uh, in particular. Um, but Hamas committed a terrible atrocity on October 7th. But our media have been so silent about the terrible atrocities that Israel have been committing for years. And really, the truth be told, since 1948, when the Nakba happened, where 750,000 Palestinians were thrown out of their homes, uh, were thrown off their land, and they were made refugees. And people should remember that 70% of Gaza today are refugees. So the people, families that were thrown thrown out of their houses, thrown off their land, in the last, uh, all the years since 1948, these same people now are being uh, ethnically cleansed again from northern Gaza. The same families. And the European Union cannot yet condemn Israel. I think there's been some, you know, uh, it's, it's great that the people, I suppose, can see through a lot of what has been said and I think the Palestinian diaspora who are scattered across Europe have played a huge role as did the people who came here earlier this week in exposing their own grief and their contacts on the ground to show the reality of what is going on there. Um, we've seen massive demonstrations in the course of the last week. They are continuing the one in, in London uh, they reckon was the third biggest in, in history and tens of thousands couldn't even reach it. It was that big. Um, I know we've been invited this weekend to events in Rome, to events in Luxembourg. The march in Brussels last week was absolutely huge. The events are going on. But the question then that people are will raise is, when the people of the world are organising in such numbers against their leadership and their leadership isn't listening, what can you do beyond that? And how do we get to a situation of forcing the people in power? We saw that our own uh, Parliament at all debated the issues this week. Uh, good motions, which thankfully moved beyond the issue just of the ambassador, which went into serious calls for issues which would put pressure on Israel. First and foremost, the need for an arms embargo, which is key, and Ireland should already be implementing that. We're not even uh, sure whether they are or not. We certainly have no guarantees in that regard. We need the suspension of the EU-Israel agreement. We should be uh, championing the boycott, divest, bottom-up movement. But I think what's obvious now is that there is a real role and necessity for the trade union movement to take control over this, for workers organising in a form of non-cooperation to make these things happen. 
when the leaders don't. So we saw workers in Belgium saying they weren't going to transport arms. In Barcelona arms. as well recently. So we need that in Ireland. We need workers in Shannon saying we will not handle any planes that come in from the US if we do not know what is on them and if our government have failed to secure that or if our government aren't carrying out checks. They are the things that actually can put pressure to bring this about. But there's a huge crisis now in the international organisations, uh, I think. And I also think that what we're seeing is, is that this is capitalism with the gloves off or with the mask off, that we've entered into a new phase of brutal capitalism where international law and values and democracy and all these things that the EU peddles and sort of promotes, and we obviously agree with all those things, but we have been pointing out the hypocrisy of the EU in saying that they agree with them and doing the others, I think this situation has exposed that in the eyes of people who never saw that before because they are blatantly saying, Ursula von der Leyen is saying, now we told the Israelis, don't be targeting civilians. And everybody sees, it's blatantly obvious that they are targeting civilians. Their aims aren't that bad. They've massive surveillance and, and knowledge-based things. They're doing it on purpose. They have dehumanised the Palestinian population and they're out to clear it. There's a lot of talk about natural resources being available in that area and oil and gas and that that's also behind the scenes. You know, there has been stuff about Rishi Sunak's family being involved in some of that and all the rest. And I'm quite sure vested interests from the powers that be are there behind this. But we're beginning to see Europe now becoming a bit like America where the, those in power are accountable more to the lobbyists from the big companies and big corp than they are to their people. And that is a, should be a wake-up call for everybody across Europe. But it, it didn't start uh, in the last month. Uh, we've seen the very same thing with the Ukraine war. We saw the European institutions promoting a war as, uh, which was totally stupid. They, we saw them introduce sanctions against Russia that hurt the European citizens more than it hurt the Russians. We've seen them promoting the war and spend billions of European taxpayers' money making sure the war doesn't stop. And, and who's dying in it? Working-class Ukrainians and working-class Russians. Not the people that are driving the war. There's, there's, you have elites in suits promoting and fueling a war with only the working-class dying in it. And what's happened to Ukraine? It's, 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 a, it's becoming a basket case. It's a failed state. It's been destroyed. It'll be pauperised for years and they're taking on huge debts. We'll own the place. We're colonising it as well. And no one gives a damn about the number of Ukrainians that are dying in it. We, that, we yeah. pretend we actually care about Ukraine, but you know what? We're actually just throwing them under the bus. Mm. Uh, but the, our, our mainstream media refuse to, to tell the truth about what really happened in Ukraine. And now we're seeing a more blatant example of it with Gaza. It's, it's the hypocrisy is so blatant this time round. It's more open uh, for everyone to see. Now, uh, an element that has uh, been discussed a lot of late is the element of genocide. No European leaders can mention the word genocide, the idea that Israel is carrying out a genocide in Gaza. But it was interesting, these, the, the, the uh, Craig Mokhibar, uh, he's the director of the New York office of the UN High Commission for Human Rights and he's resigned and he was heartbroken that the UN would not do its job because of pressure from the likes of the US, UK and probably the EU 
I mean, it's it's really stark. But uh, pe- people should understand that activating the, gen- the Genocide Convention is something that the Irish government now could do too. There are 149 states that are party to the Genocide Convention. Every one of them has the right to call out the genocide in progress in Gaza and report it to the United Nations. And what that does is it obliges the United Nations to investigate it. Not one country has done it yet. Not one. And, and it, I mean, just in, in terms of the relevant articles on the Genocide Convention, Article 8, any contracting party may call upon the competent organs of the United Nations to take such action under the Charter of the United Nations as they consider appropriate for the prevention and suppression of acts of genocide or any of the other acts enumerated under in Article 3. Right? And it says, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethical, racial or religious group, such as killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mentally harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Now, there is no reason in the wide earthly world why the Irish government should not invoke the Genocide Convention and report Israel to the UN for war crimes, putting the pressure on the UN to investigate them. Now, I think that's an important aspect in the context that as we speak, activists from Dublin for Gaza are occupying the Department of Foreign Affairs in Dublin precisely trying to put Michal Martin under pressure to initiate powers that we have as a sovereign state within these international bodies. And it could be the one you're saying there, Mick, under the Genocide Convention, absolutely should be tried. This is a cast iron case on on being exposed, I suppose, or unleashed in, in full public view. There's also clauses within the United Nations itself about how we could initiate a binding ceasefire um, to get around the US blockage of uh, that. Ireland could be doing that. We could be spending a naval ship and humanitarian aid in, put it up to the Israelis. Why wouldn't we do that? We should be doing that. There's also facilities whereby Palestine as a state could call in the OPCW to give it protective gear and so on because of the chemical assaults that are being engaged in. And this will be an interesting one because uh, Ukraine asked for that assistance and got it. So you'd be very interested to see if uh, Palestine asked for it, would it get the assistance? Because this comes back to the point that there is a crisis in the international organisations. You are right that, you know, we did see this happening with Ukraine. But the point is a lot of other people didn't see that. And we had all of the mantra here about as long as it takes, as much as it costs, we'll stand with Ukraine. I don't think there's a single issue on Ukraine on the agenda this time around. It's been silently pushed aside. The Americans are shifting some of the money that was going to Ukraine, going into Israel. The lunatics here who couldn't say anything without jumping up and down for Ukraine, it's not on the agenda. Uh, And you can see if you like, Ukraine getting dropped and sidelined because at the end of the day, there's still arms being sold, there's still people dying, they're just doing it somewhere else and war and conflict and militarism is all part of that same uh, package. And it is interesting, some people have said to me in contact us and say, look, um, 
or I've heard it said commentary on our social media. Look, you're you're playing a, an important role in, in in the conflict in Palestine. Fair play. I didn't agree with you on on your support for Russia. We support. We never supported Russia. Our position on this conflict is identical to the last one. We called for a ceasefire and for a diplomatic resolution that took into account the circumstances on the ground. It's exactly what we're calling for here. But somehow it's an accepted opinion here, but it wasn't in the other one. And again, this is should be food for thought for people about how the media operate, you know. Yeah, well, the media uh, who took the side of US imperialism 100% uh, and the war in Ukraine, uh, which, was, uh, which has come at a great cost to so many... Uh, unfortunate, uh, less privileged Ukrainians who are dying in the war. Uh, but you mentioned, Claire, about, uh, about international groups uh, being undermined and the threat now t- to international law because of that. And I think you mentioned the ICC, the, the International Criminal Court. But the, the, pre- the, the present leader of the ICC uh, is a fellow called uh, Karim Khan, now, he was only uh, he was appointed in twenty one in June twenty twenty one, but be- before that there was a woman from Gambia. Her name was Fatou Bensouda, and she had initiated an investigation into possible war crimes committed by Israel in the, in the Palestine, and the Americans went mad. They actually uh, revoked her her visa to enter America, and she was put under terrible pressure, and she was forced to resign. She was replaced by Karim Khan, uh, who is from the UK, and he has dropped, he dropped the charges against Israel, and he started uh, a case against Putin instead. And he made, in the, in the space of uh, four or five months, yeah, he went to Kiev uh, on at least four occasions. So he was doing America's bidding. The case was dropped against Israel and initiated against Russia. Now, this is not what we need. We need an independent international criminal court and we don't need one that's been uh, controlled uh, by US empire. That is a disaster. Mm. And I mean, I think these things are becoming more and more into the minds of people. And in the meantime, what can we do but keep the pressure on? I'd like to give a shout out to our our colleagues, uh, Dean Mulligan, our best councillor in Fingal County Council for putting together the motion on Monday night where Fingal agreed to... Um, call for a ceasefire, to call for the upholding of our neutrality, the initiation basically of an arms embargo, the power that we have as a small neutral country. Brilliant to see that in the motion and for the flying of the Palestinian flag and, and Dean managed to work it to get a majority for that, which was really good. So yeah. fair play to that. Fair know. play to Dean and to the Fingal County Council. Yeah. Um, but uh, it should also be, people should be re- uh, reminded that there's arms travelling through Shannon on the way to the Middle East. And there's little doubt, but uh, there's arms from America going to Israel that have been used to kill women and children in Gaza. And our Irish government are still allowing that. Now, that is absolutely shocking. And, uh, I mean, the, the Irish people should, should understand that this is really, that it's making us complicit mm. in, in atrocities taking place in Gaza. And uh, just on my last point, you, you're, you're asking, Claire, what can we do? We had a council meeting here, a, a European council meeting on Monday. And so we would have had, Michal Martin would have been at it as, as the Minister of Foreign Affairs. 
And there's 27 members going to a council meeting. And if one member refuses to accept the statement being put out by the council at the end of the meeting, then it scuppers the, the whole thing. Michal Martin has to become a bit more bold. And it's all very well. And the Irish government, as we've said before, have been better than most European governments in their position, Wouldn't but not strong enough. And they have the potential at the European Council meetings to throw the ties out of the pram until there's a ceasefire called for. He shouldn't be leaving the room until he gets the ceasefire. And he should not be agreeing to any statement coming from the European Council meetings that does not include a call for a ceasefire. And I think we will. We don't have time today, but we will put more scrutiny on this, on what Ireland could do at EU Council level to exercise our rights. Like there's some information emerging that the Council, which doesn't take minutes and makes its decisions generally in secret, was looking at a 18 million euro funding deal for Israel. Now, this is happening at a time where the GDP in Israel per head is way above the European. They don't need money. And the money to Palestine has been long frozen, even in advance of the initial attack. So these are issues that we need to look at. Ireland could have stopped that. Now, we don't fully know the facts, but we need to investigate that. We need to look at the statements because it was heartbreaking to see Israeli propagandists from the Israeli government coming onto the media and quoting the European Council statements about Hamas using people as human shields to legitimise their attacks on civilian infrastructure, on doctors, on medics and on patients. They use the words of the European Council to support that. And Michal Martin and Ireland were part of those words. We have to do a hell of a lot better. So we really salute um, the direct action that's engaged. We'll encourage more of that and uh, we all just unite to, to keep the pressure on. Okay, moving on to a different topic. This morning you participated in an event held here in the Parliament. It was organised by the left group. It was called Unblock Cuba. It's going on today and tomorrow. Um, most of our listeners will be familiar with the 60-year-old embargo on Cuba from the United States, um, which has caused a lot of pain and difficulties for the Cuban people. Um, what did you think of the event? Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, the um, the whole situation with Cuba uh, beggars belief, really. Um, since 1960, 61, um, the Americans have had an embargo. They've introduced one sanction after another. And they've literally done their utmost to make it impossible for uh, Cuba to survive as an independent entity. Uh, the, the Americans felt threatened by the idea that someone could actually uh, form a socialist state of any form in a successful manner right on, uh, close to their coast. Uh, so they have been doing their utmost uh, all those years since uh, to undermine Cuba's potential uh, to live a normal existence. Now, there was a, a, some relaxation of measures a small bit under Obama, uh, but that was severely hampered again and undone by Trump. Trump introduced a whole lot of new measures, making it worse than ever. And uh, people thought that Biden, as a Democrat, uh, if he got in, 
that he would undo some of the bad work of Trump, but in actual fact, he did nothing to change what Trump put in place. So Cuba remains in a very difficult place. It beggars belief that they have survived at all in all these years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the disappointing thing for people, um, expecting maybe that things would change under Biden, but they've actually just intensified. And I think it's very fair to say, and anybody who's gone to visit Cuba recently cannot but see the enormous personal cost on citizens and on the state there, on the infrastructure. They can't get antibiotics. They can't have dealings with others. One of the MEPs who spoke this morning said that she tried to get her insurance for the trip and she had a reference on her bank thing for the €25 transaction, which said insurance for Cuba, and the bank blocked it. So the whole international community is blocking financial transactions and making it impossible for people outside of Cuba to have transactions with it and vice versa. And that is being paid for with the blood of Cubans um, as the blockade continues. The event that we organised was a tribunal, so we're putting that blockade on trial. It's going on over two days here, but it had obviously taken place against the backdrop of the UN vote on the US blockade. Now, this takes place every year, and every year the uh, US is outvoted on this. This year, it was in the last week, the US could only get one country to agree with it and vote against the motion for lift, you know, on the lifting of the blockade. Surprise, surprise, that one country was Israel. Uh, one country abstained, and that country was Ukraine. Um, the Cubans made the point that 44 heads of state intervened in that debate and said, "You, this is completely wrong. They've been classified as a sponsor of terrorism, which is just utter lunacy. Uh, but again, it makes it impossible for them. And, you know, we did have a chance at the event this morning to celebrate, despite all that, some of the wonderful achievements of Cuba. Uh, they are really, from a bottom-up way, they've turned their whole economy into the fight against climate change, which is really important and everyone's going to have to follow. We made the point that during COVID, they developed four vaccines without a load of bits and pieces because of the sanctions and all of that. But they brought that and gave it to the world uh, while the pharmaceutical companies um, just kept the intellectual property rights for themselves. And uh, basically, this is an attack on the idea of a different type of society. It's an attack on the right for people to self-determination and to choose their own government. And that's why everybody around the world and they do, when we're saying that we're not even making it up now, everybody around the world in the 100 and 200 countries or 190 in the UN except the US, Israel and Ukraine stands with Cuba. That's a fact. And yet the blockade is there and the people of Cuba are dying because of lack of medicine. And what sort of a world do we live in? And people in Ireland have accused them. We got into loads. Oh, you're just against the US. Well, it's a simple fact that they're the biggest um, contributors to instability on the globe and this is the consequence that we are in. Yeah, and uh, it's important to remind people as well that the Americans have dropped more bombs every year since the end of the Second World War than the rest of the world put together. Just keep that in mind yep. as to who is causing most of the violence and terrorism worldwide and giving the likes of Israel permission to do as they please and totally ignore international law. 
Israel can be a lawless state because America and the European Union allowed them to. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that Cuba is on the state sponsor of terrorism list and Israel isn't just tells you everything that you need to know. Yeah. As to how Cuba uh, would it get off the island uh, and actually <laughs> imp- impose terrorism on anyone, uh, I'd like to hear how they'd, they'd manage it. And to make a nice segue link now, of course, the Americans are occupying a part of Cuba with the Guantanamo military detention uh, complex, which our listeners should know about because you've been listening to our podcasts from the event we had here in that. But just to let people know that Mansoor Adafi is beginning his tour of Ireland next weekend. He'll be at a book launch in Connolly Books in Temple Bar on the 25th of November, Saturday the 25th of November at half past four. So the that awkward brother or that awkward aunt who you're looking for a Christmas present for, Mansoor's autographed copy of Don't Forget Us Here, I can tell you, would be a right hit. So uh, he will be going down to Wexford for a book launch in uh, Red Books in Wexford at some stage and will be speaking in a whole number of schools in the Dáil. Uh, and in a number of other arenas. So we look forward to that, but put the 25th of November in your diary for his book launch in Connolly Books. And uh, I'd just like to add that um, I remember when I, when I, I, I bought the book and I thought to myself, God, uh, things were so horrific in Guantanamo. Uh, I'm going to f- find it hard to read this. Uh, things were incredibly horrific. They were tortured every day for about 11 years. Think about that. But the book is an, an incredible read, a powerful, really well written. It is seriously good and not a difficult book to read. It is uh, mm. really worth your time reading mm. it. Exactly. Okay, well, I think that's all we have time for today. So tune in next week for... From Strasbourg. That's the way go. Leave it, Archie.